Hey guys, welcome to the Amateur Golf Podcast with me, Joe Gay. So today, joined by a very special guest, PJ professional, Dave Bartlett. Dave, how are you, mate? Hey, uh, pleasure to be on, my friend. Yeah, I'm really, really good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. Good, good. Thanks for being on, mate. Uh, so, mate, first question, how's lockdown treating you? Cool. Well, do you know what? I, I thought I was going to really, really struggle with it. I'm a bit of a workaholic. I work hard, I do long hours, and I love what I do, you know? So, yeah. When they first first said about it, I was thinking, God, I don't know how much you're going to cope with this. You know, I've done so many years as a golf pro and you get into that same routine. But actually, I feel like I've kind of coped with it pretty well and kind of embraced it a bit, really. And it's sort of given me time to think a little bit about, you know, a bit creative time, trying to strategize a little bit and, and actually start to introduce a few different things that I wouldn't ordinarily do. So there's been some positives. I mean, it has its times when it's hard, as you know yourself, I'm sure. But it's actually not not being as bad as I thought it might be so yeah that's that's actually quite a common answer I, I've been sort of asking that question uh first of all really because it's something that we're all going through and no matter whether it's golf or anything we're, we're all in a very similar situation a lot of people actually replied back saying very similar sort of answer that actually in you know in its tragedy and how bad this actually has yeah. been been quite a reflective time and people you know, my brother-in-law's a, a workaholic. You said it. He owns his own business, and he he's actually in a really good place. And he said Is that it? he's he's really enjoyed and embraced having this sort of time off and just to reflect on. Actually, sometimes it's a bit more than just working sort of every single hour that God gives us. But yeah, but mate, I you know I know obviously we're airing this in a few weeks' time. But today you got to, to take well, you got to take part in the the online golf lesson the world's biggest golf lesson sure, yeah yeah that was kind of cool you know i've not i've not done an instagram live before i've appeared on on somebody's instagram live but not ever done anything by myself before so it's a bit of a sharp Ooh. learning curve but i kind of quite enjoyed it you know <laughs> yeah quite enjoy it so the, the the theme was you know do a do a putting clinic for 15 to 30 minutes long and um so i i ran it as um i put some questions you know send in some questions from instagram uh, I got quite a few come back in and some of them were good sort of things to sort of um, talk about during the session. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was cool. I enjoyed doing it. Um, and I mean, hopefully, I mean, they got like 600 pros sign up to do it. So they should actually generate quite a bit of money. The plan was to try and get as many viewers as possible so that they could get some donations towards the NHS. So um, mm -hmm. I posted something on my story yesterday, which was like <laughs> I put my name in that quite quickly, and then all of a sudden there's like 600 pros. We got like David Ledbetter, and you've got, <laughs> you've got all these top pros and stuff. I'm like, oh my god, no one's going to listen to mine. Um, but no, it was cool. It was cool. I quite enjoyed doing it. I quite enjoyed doing it. Yeah, it, it done fantastic, and it was just unbelievable. I I didn't forget about it, but it's obviously you know like like we said at the beginning, it's one of those things you sat in your living room or wherever you are doing during lockdown. And all of a sudden, my Instagram was just like, ping, 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 ping. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. I had about 20 live feeds on my Instagram. And it was, it was great, but I couldn't obviously watch everyone. I, no, I that's right, yeah. to flick between a few, but... Yeah, yeah I'm pretty grateful I got... A, I'm pretty grateful I got a few, to be fair. So I was, uh, I was thinking, God, I'm like, going to do it in front of myself. But, you know, I might be able to learn something about putting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, putting. I think we all always learn about putting. Don't matter how much we think we've mastered it, it still beats us. Uh, it's so simple, isn't it? Really, you know. It's. I didn't mention it in the thing, but it's you know, it's rolling a ball along grass. You know that the mastery is in the repeatability and in the ability to adapt. You know, from course to course. You know, when the greens are fast, slow. What, what I hear quite a lot, actually, and I didn't mention this earlier on, is I, I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, the greens are so inconsistent." Um, and do you know what? I actually genuinely 100% believe, I don't think I've ever played a golf course where the greens are inconsistent. Um, it for pace, you know, like I don't see it. What people don't, what aren't, they're not good at is they don't have the ability to adjust with slopes. You know, they go above the slope, they don't notice they're above it and it's fast. And then the next one, they're up slope and they feel it's slow. It's having that ability to be able to see the slopes. It's got nothing to do with like the consistency of the pace. Yeah. And grain of grass. It's, it's yep. funny I hear that a lot as well, and like obviously I'm only a you know single figure handicap, but one thing I get as well, and you'll probably agree with me, is when people say uh, the greens on the course aren't the same as the you know yes. putting green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, no, it's you know on a putting green before you go out and play your sort of monthly medal, most mm. people just walk around the whole putting green whacking putts. They don't actually practice before they go out; they just hit 
putts to say nine or 18 holes and and then go out and I've actually got to do it in real competition. And, yeah. you know, you need to underst well, understand, especially as an amateur, you know, and me you know, also, obviously I'm an amateur, but you've got to practice from realistic lies from down grain, up yeah. grain, coming into the ball, up slope, down slope. And actually that will give you a, a truer, a, you know, a reflection of what you've got to face on for the 18 holes you're about to play. Because I think I'm right in saying that putting is 40% of our game. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if that's 100%. Yes. Yeah, you're not correct. far off with that as a stat, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, if you think of a standard par four, it's, it's supposed to be two onto the green, two putts. Yeah, um, and then you've got your par fives and par threes to take into consideration, which balances that balances that out a little bit. So you, yeah. yeah, you're not you're not far off with that. Um, it's unbelievable. I mean, again, you might agree with me here, but it's, it's frustrating when you see companies like TaylorMade, for example, and Callaway when they're banging on about you know hitting the ball further and the quickest face they've ever brought out. But realistically. You know, and if I was a coach, and um, you know, one day, hopefully, touch wood, I might become a coach. Mm -hmm. Well, I think putting and well, short game and putting, but putting, in my opinion, is the biggest sort of area that people forget about, especially amateur golfers and people starting out. Everyone wants to hit the ball 300 yards. Yeah. But forget that, you know, getting down on the putting green in two on an average and less than three most times is the part which actually that's going to lower your handicap more than hitting a ball far. Yeah. People's practice strategy is really interesting with that. And, and people tend to practice firstly what they're good at, but firstly what they enjoy. So, you know, your guys that like want to bomb it 300 yards and maybe they can bomb it 300 yards. Um, yeah. They'll have those streaky days where they'll, they'll shoot the lights out where, where things go their way, but they're also quite quick to, you know, blame the greens when it's, you know, that they don't put the hours in on the putting green and, if you watch the, the elite players of this world, I was lucky enough at the Open last year, I watched Francesco Molinari quite a lot practising his putting. Well, I went away and I gave... I watched him for a bit and he was completely away from all the other pros. He had no coach with him and he was just banging in putts one after another, relentless. I went away and coached for two hours and I had a team break and come back and he was still there. And really? whilst I saw... I mean, it's fine. Everyone practises their own way. I saw a lot of other pros just floating around chatting and knocking some putts in which again that's fine if that's how they do it that's how they do it people don't practice anywhere near enough like these guys uh have practice time what most people do is they have a few putts before around and they'll consider that their practice time where actually that's be the time where all you're doing is getting a feel for speed you're not you're not trying to learn something new at that time so yeah. it, you have to allocate you know everybody could allocate 20 minutes a week to practice in their putting, but it doesn't seem that appealing to many people. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And that, again, that is the, the biggest thing there. It's not appealing, is it? It's not, it's not the well factor, is it? But, agree. you know, really, if people, if I asked maybe 10 golfers who have just started out, if they could hit the ball far or hold yeah. more putt, I probably, I probably would get the response of hitting the ball far, mm -hmm. but deep down, People probably do want to putt better, but it's not popular, is it? And it's not, it's not going to, uh, you know, your mates aren't going to go, wow, if you just hold a few putts, because you'd probably be regarded as quite a boring golfer. Yeah. But if you can hit a ball a mile, you're, you're like, oh, wow, he can hit a ball far. <laughs> and it's interesting how lots of other golfers judge other golfers on their ability of how they hit a ball. So I'll give an example. There's a guy mm. I teach, and you know the handicaps have gone crazy high now. You can have a, you can have a really high yeah. handicap. This guy, his first handicap's 36, and he learned really quickly. He's an ex-rugby player, and he genuinely okay. hits it further than I do. Genuinely. Now, he's not that consistent yet. But then if, you, if he goes and plays with somebody who's 18, and he's out driving him by nearly 100 yards, <laughs> they're, they're, he's going to get judged solely as a bandit based on how well he hits it. But then he's actually yeah. coming off that round playing to his handicap, you know? So he's shot 36 over. Ball striking is part of the game, but it's people forget is A to B and you know you can thin it round you can duff it round in level par um if you know how to play you know and it's knowing what your bad shots are and making the right choices ball striking is massively important but actually playing the game of golf is undercoached and I'd like to think it's something that elite coaches do it's something that I try and do is I try and coach the game of golf I don't just try and coach hitting it um and I, hopefully you agree that that's something like have you ever had a lesson on how you actually play 
Uh, me personally, mm-hmm. no, no, I haven't, and that, that's being truthful. I've never had a lesson on uh, course management, shall we say? Like I, I've only recently learned how to. If you well, if you think about, it, I've been playing golf for the best part of between fifteen and twenty years, uh-huh. and. I've got myself to a place now where I'm really happy with my game, but I'm actually addicted to golf more now than I was 10 years ago where I was just quite a good sort of 15 handicapper. Yeah. And I was winning monthly medals and stuff like that because I was quite good for a 15 handicapper. But when I got down to sort of 10 and below, um, that's when golf gave me a good old kick up the backside and said, well, actually there's a different level of playing field now. And it went until I started playing with, sort of five and six handicappers where you could put me in the rough alongside them in the exact same spot in the exact same hole and I would probably get five on a par four and they'd get a par. Yeah. And I think to myself, well, how have they done that? And, you know, they're not much better than me, mm. but it's the, this is where the mentality of golf comes into it. And this is one thing that people starting out, if they're, if they're listening to this podcast, it is vital in my opinion that you have to look at golf in a numbers game like if you want to lower your handicap if you're in the rough look at the lie if you're realistically not going to get a, a you know a long iron behind the ball and get yourself on the green give yourself your best chance yeah. get to get to a yardage where you're most comfortable with and then try and knock it on the green and get down in two if not then you, you score that's when you know you're going to see scores get higher and higher and your handicap's going to hit a hit a wall but um, there's, yeah, there's, there's quite a few plateaus, you know, and obviously I've been doing it quite a long time. And you see a lot of people mm. plateau at 14 handicap. You see a lot of people plateau at, like you say, round about that nine figure as well. Yeah. And then that next one's probably where you're, you're six, aren't you? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people plateau at six. They, those are the kind of the, the numbers, I would say. And it seems like each stage you get to, you need to do something different at each one of those stages. So quite often that that next level for you is like you put a one handicapper up against yourself right now you both hit a good shot they're going to be similar i would imagine um yeah the the level of consistency of um 100 yards and in seems to be that yeah. that, that next thing you know so and then and from that point onwards the answer always seems to be can you get better from 100 yards and in again can yeah. you get better from 100 yards in again um, and that's so interesting that you say that because before, unfortunately, lockdown and before, you know, obviously we had a lot of rain at the beginning of the year, but that is the exact area of my game that I've been working hard, harder than ever yeah. is from the 100 yards and in. It's it's weird that you say that because that is is literally me in a nutshell. That I I play good golf, you know, tee to green's not bad, but to get to the next stage and you just hit a nail on the head, I have to be better at 100 yards in. I can't just hit shots 15, 20 foot away. Yeah. I need to be inside 10 foot. I need to be giving myself a realistic chance every time a birdie on a par four, for example, um, to get down to that next level. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, although I'm six, there's still going to be bogeys. There's no doubt about that. I'm not going to par everything. But where I need to get the shots, to get the birdies and get, you know, give myself the best chance of getting better scores, you know, on the high, on the easier hole, shall we say, that is the area of the game that massively, need, well, not massively, but just needs to be refined. Yeah, if you think about the margin of could you be three shots around better? This is where a few people make a few mistakes with their course management. So we'll just talk about 100 yards for a sec. You've got 100 yards, which for you could be something like a full sand wedge or a little half swing of the gap wedge, yeah? Yeah. Um, You you zap it, you laser it, or whatever it is you do to work out where the flag is, it's 100 yards. And you think, right, 100 yards, that's a full sand iron, you hit that club. And then what people don't do is they don't analyse their greens anywhere near enough they play the shot for the distance where actually you think of a, a couple of holes around your own club where you've got a considerable slope from left to right or um sloped massively front to back where it's massively um you would be worse off getting the right distance so if you yeah. hit it 100 yards you're going to leave yourself the worst part on the green whereas if you hit it 95 yards you're potentially you know not quite making it but those are the problem holes where you actually end up three putting where you put it level with a stick. Um, yeah. and, and those things don't get taken into consideration. And it's those types of margins when you start getting into those low handicap figures, knowing where to miss um, is so useful. Um, yeah. and, and people don't do that. They do zap the distance, hit the club for the distance. 
Yeah, honestly, mate, it's like you've been living in my head for the last <laughs> month. That is honestly my my thought process now in golf, and from that distance is literally that. You know, I funny enough, mate, and my hand on heart in this podcast right now that I emailed a golf course today. So I've moved from Weymouth, mm-hmm. where you know I used to live, and I'm in Plymouth now, and I've, I've actually clubless. Oh, are you? Because <laughs> lockdowns. Yeah, it's got a big hold on joining a club, and I didn't want to just sacrifice to join the club for potentially being sat at home. So there's a club around the corner which I'm joining when we go back to golf, and I emailed them today asking for a layout of every single pin position. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that was to, and that was to actually do what you just said and write down the slopes of you know where that pin is specifically on a certain day. Um, and you know, like you said, know your misses. If I'd rather have a 15 foot putt uphill than a seven foot tricky one on a down slope that's going to potentially free yeah, cut every time. Got it. So, you know, it's yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, mate. And that is exactly my thought process going into hopefully what we've got left of this season, but certainly next year now. Um, and you know, for anyone listening out there, if you're serious about your golf and you actually want to get to a next level. These tips, what Dave is talking about right now, is fundamentals in golf. And it's definitely to get yourself to the next stage. If you're enjoying it with your friends and you don't care about your handicap, then just continue with doing what you're doing. But certainly, if you're serious about golf like I am, and I know a lot of people are, that these are the fundamentals that your mentality needs to get right. um, I think when this lockdown is is over um, and we all do get back to coaching and what have you, depending on the kind of facility you've got, whether it be a range or whether it's like what I've got is a practice ground and a golf course and an indoor swing studio. um, I'm going to avoid the sort of the indoor swing studio aspect. And I think a few people are going to struggle with driving ranges. Um, They may open up just a little bit later. So now's a really good time if you're itching to get back and think, right, tuition there's going to be more pros giving more on course lessons during this period. I'll, I'll include myself on that. I do quite a bit on the course anyway, but um, getting out on the golf course and learning, I would say most of the positive feedback that I get from my tuition is from the on course lessons. Like, wow, I learned so much more. I didn't, didn't hardly learn anything regarding technique today because that's, there's so much time for that. Um, just, yeah. just learning the aspect. Of Now's a good time to do it. Yeah. And, and that's, it's an enjoyable factor as well because I remember playing a few pro-ams and stuff like that. And like again, I was quite a good golfer, but I was excited to play against, or not against, but play yeah. with the pros. And it's, you know, I know you're only off, you're saying about a lesson, but for uh, you know a 15 handicapper going out on a course with yourself, mm-hmm. it's, it's an exciting time because you're playing with a pro. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going to hurt in the day, and you you're, you you want to play your best, and you want to get as much information. I remember playing pro-ams where. You know, I probably annoyed the guy because it was really windy. And I was like, so um, I stood over like a six foot putt. And I was like, oh, has it got any tips? You know, should I hold on to the handle tighter? Should I, yeah. you know, widen my hands and all this sort of stuff? It's just, you know, you want to find out as much information. And on-course lessons, I've only ever had one. But uh, like you said, it is the most beneficial lesson I've ever had probably. And it, it, was, it, was, it was enjoyable mm. as well, really enjoyable. But um, So that brings me on to sort of, like my next topic, uh, custom fitting. Yeah. Now, I've I've been custom fit. I've not brought a custom fit set from a pro or from an American golf, for mm-hmm. example, because obviously, you know, especially American golf, they're only going to ever have the latest clubs uh, and it costs a lot of yeah. money. But, you know, the benefits from custom fitting since I've recently done it, you know, probably 18 months ago, have definitely... Uh, improved my game it's definitely given me an understanding of how i actually swing what flex of the shaft i need do you think more people should go custom fit or do you think people who are starting out should potentially just enjoy it to start with and then maybe when they get to maybe like a 10 or 12 handicap then go and get custom fit that's a really really good question um i think what what some people will have to do is they have to quickly work out whether they actually like it so what, yeah. what invariably happen is, you know, you've got someone in their six foot four. Can they just go out and get a, you know, a, a cheap secondhand set that's going to be anywhere near what they need? Unlikely, possible, but unlikely. And um, so they invariably kind of start off with clubs that are too short for them. Now, a beginner, depending on whether they're having lessons or not, will either kind of mold a poor setup around a, a club that maybe is too short or too flat for them. 
and that can start to ingrain in a few folks. Let me give you an example of someone who's maybe six foot four, their clubs are standard length and they're too flat. Maybe that affects their posture in a negative way. And quite a common fault from that would be as they um, kind of take the club away, you might almost start to see their head work slightly downwards towards the ball. Um, yeah, 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 in order to reach it. Now, if they did that for a period of time, it could ingrain. So then all of a sudden they get custom fit and their clubs are the right length and they stand well. If they've ingrained that kind of bad movement, are they going to hit it better straight away? Possibly not. And do you know what? It really, really depends. I gave a, a fit to somebody the other day and he had standard clubs for six years and he was six foot five, this guy. So I, I fitted into some clubs where um, there was silver triangle and an inch longer than standard. A silver means it's like three and a half degrees upright, I think, on the ping chart, something like that. And so all, all of a sudden his stance was dramatically better. And, and some people don't adjust the stance. So what they do yeah. is they end up with a club that's more measured to their actual physiology, but then they don't change the stance. And all of a sudden you've got a guy that's squatting over it and the club's all of a sudden six degrees more upright than it was before. The loft's going to point so far left, they're going to hit it terribly. So what, what yeah. the point is really is that you should hopefully try and do it with a golf pro that can give you the honest advice as to luck, you know, your fitting should be sort of revolving around coaching. So trying to get your stance into a good place, trying to get the swing as repeatable as you can to get the best out of it. Because if you don't adapt to the club, your potential is to actually take a massive sort of um, detour into sort of negative performance, I would say. Um, some people instinctively change their setup around a club that's better for them based on their physiology. And some people don't change it at all. So the answer is kind of, yeah, most people would benefit from it. But the time in which you do it is something to be taken into consideration. If I was somebody that came for a custom fit that I wasn't coaching and they stood to the ball really badly, but I knew deep down that that bad setup was causing their main fault. I might just ask the questions like, what are you working on with your coach? Um, yeah. What are you trying to do? Yeah. And if they're trying to do something that I kind of agreed with, I might say, look, you work on that a bit. Once you've nailed that, then get your clubs fitted because at the moment your fitting is going to revolve around poor technique or poor stance. And then, you know, three months down the line, when you've nailed that, you've got clubs that don't really suit you anymore. So timing is everything with custom fit. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, that last point you made, um, you know, it's really interesting because unfortunately, golf, you know, especially again with these big companies that are bringing out clubs sort of every month. It's all about marketing. And, I, you know, I, I've had bad experience where I've gone to, you know, I won't name the shops, but I've gone to the shops and, you know, they're just trying to mm. sell you stuff before you've even walked through the door. And, you know, like you just said there, there's no point if you've got too many bad habits, work on your bad habits and then go and get custom fit and then actually reap yeah. the benefits properly instead of actually, you know, not swinging the ball well or club well at all and then demanding a custom fit, which actually is not going to do anything. But, um, I mean, I don't know what guy, what companies you work for, but I played ping for mm. about five years. Ping, I twenty five. Yeah, I think ping are one of the best, yeah. really, because I've actually been up to the factory. I went up to Gainsborough and I went to um, look around, so you can see how they build them, and their build quality is is fantastic. Mm. Like they they laser everything. Um, all the little weights that you see in the back of their heads, they're all different for the different clubs. So the eight iron weight is different to the seven iron weight. And uh, yeah. the precision in it is is unbelievable. And it goes through so many rigorous checks as to... So I think they're up there with probably the best fitters um, in terms of, uh, like, the top brands, you know? I think they're, I think they're up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, the, what I also admired about them is I went there, I think, right, I'm going to get some new gear. I went up there a couple of years ago, and um, I ended up with a new driver and a new hybrid, like, utility iron thing, new wedges and a putter. Um, but I really only wanted to get irons, and I came back with no, I came back with no <laughs> irons. And for the main reason is they were like, "Look, you hit yours great. You, we, you actually nothing here that you hit better." Which was true. I didn't hit anything better. Um, so they were like, "We're not going to suggest anything because it's you can see the stats." So I, I, I like the honesty in that mm. as well. Yeah, that's really good, and that's again, that's a good point. Don't sort of break. Uh, don't what's it? What's the we're saying? Don't. Don't fix what yeah. isn't broken. And that's, I mean, we're, I, don't get me wrong. I've only recently moved from my pings into a new set of clubs. And it was a hard choice for me because, you know, I was playing quite well, but I just needed, 
I need a, a certain tweak. And this is going back to what we spoke about earlier with certain little things to enhance my performance. And that's why I've changed clubs. But, but going back to Ping, what I was, you know, what I was going on to say was when I, you know, when I first got my Ping irons was when I was a 10 handicapper. My dad always promised me when I got to sort of 10 on and yeah. single figures, he'd buy me oh, a clubs. And um, and the best thing I noticed with Ping, and I'm, I'm pretty certain they still do it, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely know they did back in the day. And that was not well, on their website. You could almost custom fit yourself to the best of your ability on there. Like they done measurements from sort of your, where your hands hung down by your side to the floor. Because uh, Ping have like different colours, you know this. I mean, they have orange, black, red, blue, and yellow. I think, um, and that's all the different lie angle and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And that is, you know, that that's the only club manufacturer that I know mm. do something like that. So, you know, going back to custom fitting, yeah, right, it can cost a lot of money and all the rest of it. But if you get an idea of roughly mm-hmm. what you need, some small changes, in my opinion, can actually still be- you can still benefit from you know, companies like Ping, where you can get an understanding of what you need just to start you off in your journey of golf. And then, like you said, then get better, then start wreaking the benefits of a full custom fit. You hit the nail on the head Uh, there, because what you said is you said about it as starting your journey. So I think the actual genuine answer on on whether you think custom fitting should be, you know, is is a way to go. If you, if money wasn't an option and everybody could afford golf clubs, when they start golf, they would get golf clubs fitted at that particular time when they're just starting. Um, so in that case, that color code system that they do online based on your physiology is a very, very good tool because, you know, getting the right length, you know, based on your wrist to floor measurement, um, getting the right lie, lie angle based on your height with that cross section of wrist to floor is a really, really practical thing. Hand size, etc. cetera. Um, the issue lies yeah. in if somebody hits the ball miles left, let's say, and they're not the sort of person that's going to have lessons and they are too tall for their golf clubs, um, all of a sudden they decide they're going to base all of their fitting on the stats based on their physiology. And all of a sudden their clubs change by three degrees up um, and they get a little yeah. bit longer as well, let's say. Then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're potentially changing that club by five degrees, which is an awful lot when you start thinking about the shorter clubs in terms of where that loft points. Um so if they're yeah. not the sort of person that's going to alter technique and they stick with the same technique and they already hit it left, they're going to hit it more left. So there is that has to be taken into consideration with the custom fitting process. I know I've harped on about it already, so I won't mention it too much more. The timing is so key in terms of when you have it done. Yeah, definitely. It's a, a vicious roundabout, really, isn't it? But I mean, lucky enough, you know, I'm in a position now where I'm at a good level. Um, you know, certainly going forward, I would, I, yeah, I'd love to get better and refine my clubs because I, I know I know there's a few tweaks that need to be made. But um, you know, another good point, apart from custom fitting, a totally different sort of area of mm. improving. Um, for me, again, going back to sort of ten to where I am now at six, it was actually playing uh, golf with better players. It's amazing what, like, you know, like an online lesson, uh, an on-course lesson, like you mentioned, but actually. Again, improving our game, or improving my game especially, talking about myself, um, was definitely playing with better players. Watching watching good golfers play a game of golf is almost a lesson in itself, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think um, a lot of players swing it hard. They swing it fast. I was lucky enough to play some golf with some, some top senior pros. Um, so I played quite a bit with John Jacobs, and I played with um, a chap called Tommy Horton. And, and these, they're both dead now, um, bless them. But they're, they're, you know, absolute legends of the game. But if you watch them play when they were at a good level, they were effortless. Now, obviously, there's quite a few pros. You watch Rory McIlroy, you watch Brooks Kepka, and you watch some of these players, and you, you know they're hitting it hard and they're swinging it fast as well. But so many players yeah. could learn a lot from watching senior golfers play. Um, at that level because their effortless ball speed their lever system their angle approach dynamic loft all those technical aspects that they just get so right because they're not they're not basing their distance on um again like like their physiology and the strength that that counts for so much in terms of um your gains to, to be strong to be mobile but at the same time um, the the ability to have that control over the ball. People do forget it's A to B, you know, and it's not how far can I hit this wedge? Can I hit it from one eighty? 
yeah, yeah. exactly, mate. And uh, that's again, like that's going back to my clubs. That's why I changed because I needed a club to go higher. And actually, I probably lost a few yards, not much, but I probably lost a few yards because the, the you know to get better and to hit the ball closer and get the ball stopping better on the green, I needed a much you know better steeper descent angle. My pings, as good as they were, they were custom fit to a you know a ten to eleven handicapper. Whereas now I'm a little bit better. I need to start hitting the ball closer and to get the spin and get the distance control better. I needed a shaft that was a little bit heavier, a little bit stiffer. And it's just made me, you know, a bit more refined in my yardages. So now I can go attacking a bit more. Like you said, maybe missing in, in the right places a bit more, but I know the ball's going to stop a little bit quicker. And, you know, fundamentals of golf, going back to sort of smooth swings, I was lucky enough to work oh, at wow. Wentworth um, for about three years in a row as you know, doing the leaderboards and as many great golfers there were there, the one and only golfer that stood out to me swing wise is, oh, yeah. is Ernie Els. Um, you know, the, it was, um, it was like slow motion, even in real time, let alone through telly. It was, he hit the ball 300 yards consistently and it, he swung it. What felt like the same speed <laughs> yeah. as my wedge. It was just crazy. <laughs> Such a tough lesson no, to no, learn, though, as no, much no. as you say it, and I've said it myself to myself, yeah, my rhythm gets quick and it's a fault. You know, that, I, I would say that's something that creeps into my game. I try and swing it too hard. And, um, you know, knowing yeah. where that acceleration really is, down in through impact. So many people get speed at the top. So many people get speed in the takeaway. So, yeah, you're right. Ernie Els was a great one to watch. Fred Couples, people, you know, mesmerisingly rhythmical, you know. Yeah. Um, DJ Singh as well, he was, he was special. Yeah. Yeah, PJ, lovely swing. But um, right, mate, I know you've got a few stories. So we spoke the other day, and you mentioned that you had a few uh, pro shop funny stories in your earlier days. I mean, so I've got to the, share I've with got to give me some of the edited versions of it, you know. And I just want to, for anybody that's listening, that you know, maybe is the manager <laughs> at Wentworth and wants to make me their head pro. This was a long time ago, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Mate. <laughs> if you're still looking for leaderboard people, guys, <laughs> I'm out there as well. <laughs> And I, um, so I turned pro when I was 23. So that's 17 years ago now. Um, so the club that I was at at that particular time was a small little pro shop and uh, myself and the other assistant there, top, top lad. Um, we had a few little games that we used to play in the pro shop, you know, and it was, it was at that time quite a quiet golf course out in the middle of nowhere and stuff. Maybe. So we had plenty of time just to mess about in the shop, you know. And um, I was thinking about the other yeah. day, which made me want to kind of maybe share it with you, which is quite funny. We used to play a game in this pro shop called, it was called Total Commitment, right? <laughs> and what it was is it was, you'd have a golf ball and you'd have a wedge each and you'd be bouncing up and down on a wedge to each other like tennis, yeah? So the game at this point sounds pretty simple and pretty unoffensive. But the, the total yeah. commitment aspect of the game was that if the ball kind of went offline in the pro shop, you had to show a level of commitment that was sort of consistent with the name, if it were. So you'd have to dive for it, et cetera. <laughs> and if you, if you didn't, if you didn't dive for it, what you had to do then is you had to expose your shin through your trousers. So lift your trouser leg up, go to kind of like a lunge position. Yeah. And you had to take a chip with a two iron. <laughs> so we chip, chip two irons at each other and into the shins, which was just the worst thing. So it kind of made you really, really committed. So the way we made the game more exciting is we used to lay up these little, set up these little traps sort of in and around the pro shop. So if you <laughs> dived in a certain direction, you might end up in a, in a heap of balls or something so one day we we got this ping bucket cap and um we filled it up with golf balls and then the, the golf shoes were up, like stored up in boxes really really high up on a shelf so there's this there's this um bucket of bucket hat full of golf balls and then my plan was that i'd hit the ball up towards it so you'd have to dive for it or knock the balls off and land on him right so that was the actual plan and then, so obviously the phone goes. So my la the lad who used to work with me in the shop, he answers the phone. Next minute, someone's come in, started chatting to me. I thought, okay, that's, yeah, this is what it is. And a third person's entered the shop. And where there's no one to serve him, he's decided to self-serve his golf shoes. So he's, he's reached up to get these blooming golf shoes off of the, uh, off of the rack and, and ended up with a face full of, face full of Pro V1s. <laughs> Oh, goodness. oh it's just no, like one of those. No. But that was such such a good game. But then, but try explaining that to him, you know, like let's try and say, oh yeah, well, you know, I don't know why they were there, you know, like I don't know why they. Were... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, whose idea is it to take yeah, two yeah, items to the shin? That, that is you know, one of those things, you know, it's like you know, there's some quiet times in pro shops and you have to try and <laughs> try and make a little bit of fun. But that, that was good. I mean, talk about trying to develop skill, you know, try and, um, you know, bouncing these balls up on these wedges like tennis with, you know, the, the total commitment aspect of it. That was that was really good fun. I enjoyed those days. But we're talking about, we're talking about 20 odd years ago now and times have changed and I'm a, fully grown adult with with responsibilities <laughs> <laughs> you're telling me dave you've not once played it with anyone else in the pro shop yeah, in no, your full no, week. Not, no, no. That, that game's history that game is history <laughs> your shins can't take it no more yeah, that's the real truth yeah. <laughs> no, no, they were good days so i am um, i um i've moved clubs a few times so from there i moved on to um a club called bramshaw which is the new forest i was the assistant pro there um which was which is a nice okay, club, 36 yeah. holes um hotel etc um i spent majority of the time there right. teaching again um and i enjoyed that that was that was really really cool i learned a lot whilst i was there and then um just kind of craved my own own thing a bit more so i became the head pro where i am now which is at bulbury woods um i'm the only pro there so i can kind of do as much as i want which i like um so i'm, I'm busy you know and um so and i'm yeah, I'm enjoying the coaching great, aspect of it. But I teach an awful lot of people from other clubs, which, you know, a few people that have followed me over the years, which is nice. But then um, I'm kind of doing an awful lot of ladies lessons from, you know, from, from other clubs as well. So words got around a little bit. I started to, I've built a pretty, a pretty decent sort of client base well, now. And I've, um, it's, I've been trying to measure the success rate of, say, doing some like, you might have seen a couple, I do some silly videos on, on Instagram and more so Twitter in the past, to be fair. Um, and um, I, I had a lesson, I had a guy turn up um, for a lesson and I said, you know, just that he's guy who's good. He plays off like four or something like that. I said, just out of curiosity, you know, you know, have you had many lessons in the past? He said, I've had loads, Dave. I said, okay. Um, I said, who was your last lesson with? He said, it was Jim Hardy. I don't know if you know Jim Hardy. Some of your listeners will, but I mean, he's in the top 10 coaches in the world. He would have paid like, over a grand for this golf lesson so you had a lesson with jim hardy and i said oh, what, what, you know wow. with all due respect i only charge 60 quid an hour i'm not charging a grand um you know what what made you come and want to come and have a lesson with me and he goes well i watched one of your videos on uh on twitter i think he said it was and uh, i could really relate to what you were saying so i thought i'd come and give you a get it was so i look back i think oh god not that video it's some stupid one where i'm hitting the ball off a snowman you know and uh, <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I gave him, the, I gave him a lesson, and um, and I was astonished that you know, without bad mouthing anybody, that he's had a million lessons. This guy's grip was so bad, and it was definitely the key factor in in his performance. You know, it was a real, a real minor fault. You know, not necessarily something you'd pick up on straight away in terms of like clockwise, anti-clockwise. There was a minor fault with his grip, which made his club face position was horrendous. And his swing revolved around that. He was like, I've just been trying to swing it more from inside to out, but all I do is just like come across it. And his grip was so bad and his takeaway was so bad that he was always going to slice it, you know? And I think, God, if you've had like hundreds of different golf pros, why are they not picked out on your blooming grip, you know? And uh, and I'm not, not saying that, you know, what I'm doing is any better than anybody else, but it's interesting that he was able to translate that with me and then make some real strides with his golf just based on that simple change, you know, but that came, that came from that, you know, that came from um, doing something slightly different. So doing a few little videos on um, Instagram, et cetera, is, is, you know, it's led to a few little nice little things for me as well. It, it might've helped yeah. grow my client base just a little bit more as well. Yeah. I mean, social media for me, like, obviously I'm new to this and, I've, I enjoy it, you know, it, it is a massive platform. And I think, you know, I, don't get me wrong, I know lots of people still will always want that one-to-one -one interaction with a pro and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, social media is growing, especially in golf. When I started doing my sort of Instagram journey, I was just amazed by the amount of different golfers doing exactly the same sort of thing. And I was like, wow. But there's yeah. it's such a nice community where you, people like yourself, you know, you've agreed to come on here with me and, so many people are willing to help each other. Um, you know, I've I've been very lucky since lockdown to contact one or two coaches and just send them a little video, um, you know, and one of them sent me like a putting art mat, uh, you know, and it's just little little things like that. And I think going forward, 
social media is all it is basically mm-hmm. a face-to-face value now isn't it it's you can you can talk to anyone across the country across the world like you said your your student there has yeah. been with a top 10 coach uh, but he's, he's seen something that he likes in you and 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 can relate to that and that's you know i only really had one coach growing up and i was young i was only a junior golfer but I, you know his name's gary gary was a great guy and he, he taught me pretty much everything I know in golf still now. And I've only really had the odd lesson since really. Um, but at the time, if someone, you know, mm. tried pulling me away from Gary, it would have, I would struggle because having that trust and that relationship and, mm. you know, that camaraderie with someone is just as important as actually finding the top 10 coach. You know, he might be a top 10 coach, but he might, like you said, he might be in a three thousand pound an hour. <laughs> you know, uh, unfortunately, there's, a, there's still a stigma in golf where old-fashioned people can be a bit, yeah, you know, yeah, old-fashioned. There's, there's a few coaches that do get a little bit stuck in their ways. And I was saying this to somebody the other day when I was I was chatting, was that you know the more and more you learn in coaching, the more you realise you don't know anything. And um, and and obviously you do learn, you mm. are learning more. But then it's very easy just to kind of change how you think on a few things, you know. And I think adapting the whole time is such a valuable thing as a skill i'm thinking about um if you think of dustin johnson now there's a guy that you wouldn't necessarily want to tinker around with his swing too much you certainly wouldn't change his lead wrist position um but some people it looks a little bit un you know ungainly let's say um so claude Harmon the third is his coach and he's still his main coach now but dustin johnson said look i'd quite like your dad to have a look at my swing so he went and saw butch Harmon as well and and the good thing about that was it's mm. the, the coach should have no issues with that you know some people are going to take offense to it and then if you think of these top top five top 10 world's golf golf coaches their players do actually chop and change a little bit so no one knows everything and that you know part of the coaching process right. is also knowing when to kind of almost take the shackles off let people know when they should take responsibility from themselves or their own technique you know i've i've said to a few people I said look you don't need to book a lesson next week you know i'm lucky enough to be busy enough but <laughs> um you know um you know they should actually you just need to go and play now because i can give you more and more technical information if you want it but actually you need to go and take ownership of it and then sometimes a fresh pair of eyes um from a from a different coach could be really really kind of refreshing to a golfer as well even if it's reaffirming what their old yeah. coach did i'd say that's almost more valuable um I, I i felt pressure when i first turned pro to think right okay this guy's swinging it great you know what what should we do here you know and the, the secret lies in the questioning okay what do you want to do what do you want to do now what's your bad shot then you can start changing stuff if you need to but actually if a player has been given wow that's great keep doing that you might not think there's value in that but there's actually more value in that if somebody had that and you said you've got permission now to go and play golf you haven't got to have any technical thoughts based on what you're doing now that's powerful yeah and yeah i totally agree mate uh, i mean you know biggest this uh, biggest uh, example of that is tiger tiger mm. was the best well he still is in my opinion the best golfer ever but he was certainly undeniable best you know in the early 2000s and stuff like that and any obviously mm. changed from butch Harmon. it's like yeah why why would you do that but you know like you said obviously these guys you know we're talking to the best players ever these guys are great players but they do it day in day out alongside their coach and I, like you said it's just nice to have a just a change isn't it i suppose i think that's what it is because this this is their day jobs don't forget you know we go to work or i go to work sort of nine to five every day on a building site and i golf's my release mm. but if you're playing golf every single day alongside your coach i can imagine it becoming a bit of a you know relationship where it is a bit you know like sometimes i i'll just want someone else to have a look and it's just a conversation with someone else you know because i'm pretty sure these guys you know if tiger never had another mm. coach in his life he's still going to do quite Maybe. well there's no doubt about that but it's, it's having someone just in your in your side to say you know yeah just maybe just do this or maybe just as a bit of confidence for yourself yeah, like great. look at Matthew Wolf. he's got the most unusual swing but he delivers that ball a bit like Jim Fury he delivers the ball from you know the last part of his downswing to impact perfect every time and that's 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 like you said earlier that is the point of what people forget that's where speed comes from it's that little mm. 
that last quarter of your sort of downswing, if you imagine it on a clock, it'd be what like I think they have a clock, it'd be like nine o'clock to six o'clock. Um, you know, that's the part of your game. If yeah. Really, you can do whatever you want on the back of you on your backswing at the top. But it's that quarter and that quadrant there, really, that is the biggest part. Well, I'm, I'm, listen to me. I'm, I'm saying it as if I'm a coach, but that, in my opinion, that's the, the most yeah. important part of the, of the swing. Yeah, I mean, he's got a. We'll take him for as an example. He's got to work quite a lot harder to get that club back down. You know, so there'll be certain movements that most club golfers maybe don't have that range of motion to be able to get that kind of external rotation in his shoulder that he gets. Can they? Can he move the lower body in the same way to get it shallower on the way down? A lot of people would swing it badly from that top position, yeah. but it's a real yeah. eye opener because some people would just really yeah. train and train and train to ingrain a position you know where like people call it p2 you know so from from setup moving into when the club gets parallel with the ground what does the face look like what does the shaft look like at p2 and i think all my best golf i've ever played i've never been good in p2 and i've, I've actually never been good there i'm either inside or i'm outside and to me it doesn't matter massively unless it causes a fault so if you look at someone like Matt Wolf, you know, there'd be so many people, you know, back coaching golf in the 80s. How on earth can you take the club almost vertically in there with that with the shoulder position where he gets yeah. it, he gets it across the line, he doesn't have any bump to the left. You know, there's so much stuff in there which is beyond textbook. Um, that but you yeah. his impact is just in, insanely good and repeatable. I'm intrigued by him actually as to what his pitching looks like. Um I, I want to know what his takeaway is yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Really chips, he doesn't take it on that line. I, I, I'm assuming I haven't watched enough of him to know, but it'd be really interesting to see how he plays like a like a 50 yarder. Yeah, because I watched a video on um, him, and mm. you know he's got that kink of the left leg um, where he sort of rotates his hips a little bit, and, and it's actually a trigger for him. It's actually a, like a reminder just as he's taking his um, you know his backswing that. The reason why he does that is actually yeah. because that's the impact position. So he wants that hip position to be there, slightly rotated with his weight forward. Um, that's every swing he does it is almost like a little trigger, a little reminder. Of, yeah. Okay, that's where I need to be on impact. So it's you know everyone's got their own little trigger. For me, you know, I, I move my hands probably forward about a quarter of an inch, and then I go. Um, you know, that is it. Dust, just uh, what's his name, Dustin. Yeah. No, what's his name? Jason Duffner. You know, he, he rattles the club backwards and forwards <laughs> about 30 times and then bang, gone. You know, everyone's got their own trigger. Um, but yeah, certainly Matthew Wolf, yeah. I suppose, is the modern day Jim Furyk, really. That's a, There's that's some real good comparisons so between unique. those two swings, actually. But, yeah, if you kind of watch watch their watch what their downswing looked yeah. like. Um, if you have a, the main the main difference between those two swings, I would say, is um if you look at Jim Furyk, he was historically one of the shortest hitters on the, on the tour, but very, very good. Like he was so open at impact. You look at his right arm, how much flex is in his right arm. Um, yeah. Really, really, really good turn and hand power through the golf ball. But if you watch him in slow-mo, you'll see the club really lift mm. like later in the swing. It's almost like his body has stopped. So, and, and the amount of rotation in his, in his upper torso is, is quite small. And if you compare the amount of hip turn and shoulder rotation to, say, someone like Matt Wolf, he's in a really different position, which is why Matt Wolf absolutely bombs it. And, uh, and Jim Furyk had repeatability. Yeah. I listened to um, Jim Furyk talking many, yeah. many years ago, and it got to a point where it, it was grinding on him that so many people would criticise his technique. And um, he decided one day that he'd try and change it. Um, from kind of like in and up and round, etc. you know? And uh, he tried to do it more textbook and he could swing yeah. it nice and make it look pretty, but he just couldn't hit it. And um, the the lesson was, he said, like, yeah, I kind of went back and then I went back to my old original swing and it said he said it was like being reunited with an old friend I wish I'd never left. Um, which, you know, so many people should base their, yeah. their swings on what feels pretty natural to them. Right. Yeah, and, you know, we haven't got too much longer, mate, but, I mean, going back to sort of amateur golfers like myself, I hear so many people, uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm a, I admire the guy, but obviously you talk about people like Rory and, mm -hmm. you know, desperate to have that big high draw. But if you look at pretty much the top 10 golfers, yeah. Dustin Johnson, he fades the ball majority of the time. You know, Colin McGrory, when he was great, fades the ball. So Tiger Woods... You know, Tiger Woods can do anything with a golf ball, but 
to get to where he is now since his injury, he's learned to hit the ball higher. Like he's, mm. he's, I think he plays with 11 degree driver now, which is sort of unheard of for a, a tour pro. But he hits the ball, you know, higher, and he he plays that gentle cut. It's such a great shot to have, and you know, like I play this like fade, and that's probably more technique than actually meaning to. But so many people yeah. bang on about I want to hit a big draw, but the, I, I see so many people snap hook it and go, "Yep, yeah, that's a great shot." I think to myself, that is not. Yeah, I mean, a draw is always going to not always, <laughs> you know? but depending on the level of speed that you have as potential when you're creating right to left spin or straight to left spin or left to left spin essentially your club face is closed to whatever path you're delivering which means you're you're actually creating less backspin so it's obviously on an axis but a a fade will require more of an open face which requires more loft which so the severity of the curve like no one snap slices it you know Um, so you know that the the fade for most golfers is a little bit more reliable you're taking the hands out of it a little bit more as well um but you're right in terms of what you say. You, yeah. With the addition of um, like shot tracer now, a, a draw on shot tracer when you see Rory do it looks so impressive versus yeah. the fade. But then the practicalities of yeah. hitting a fade are, um, are are certainly at that level where they're playing targets, you know, not trying to maximise distance. It, invariably, most people draw it, they hit it further. But, you know, are they trying to hit it full capacity all the time? Absolutely yeah. not. That is the question, mate. I mean, that, I, it, you know, I spoke about it in my first podcast, uh, has golf gone too far? And we'll, well, we'll find out probably in the next few years whether the RNA changed their rules. But but who knows, mate? But Dave, I'm going to have to love you and leave you, mate, because we've nearly done an hour. And that's, yeah, likewise. you know, I've really, really enjoyed this, mate. You, you, gave, you gave all my viewers some amazing tips and knowledge. Um, and it's nice to talk to someone who shares, you know, very similar mentality beliefs that i do as well so it's, it's been great mate but um dave take care of yourself buddy hope hopefully we'll be back on the golf course soon but um if yeah, not you too, my stay friend. safe Thanks for having and, me on. Um, good luck well, mate. see you later bye yeah, take care mate